1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since
2: that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey. <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
0: Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is The February Room. Do not
2: underestimate the guy or gal tying on your bugs, even if those hands are a little shaky. Fishing guides come from all walks of life, are often highly overeducated and or multi-talented individuals, who have simply become addicted to fly fishing and concede to a life on the water. My guest today is a former guide who, as we'll discover, harbors a multitude of hidden talents. Mike Barber, welcome to the February Room. Thank you, Justin. Well, it's good to hear your voice, my friend. Long time no here. True, very true. We don't get to hang out and run around on the lower access road as much as we used to running chili thighs. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah. Well, before we dive into who you are, uh can you please share one of the gems from the annals of uh of Mike Barber uh fly fisherman for us, please?
3: Absolutely. Uh I thought about this one for a while and I thought, you know, one of the funnest trips I've been on during my guide years on the Lower to uh was a fun trip actually. And it was the summer I had my back surgery and missed the best steelhead season we had, which I believe was 2009. Maybe it was 2010. So finally, at the end of the summer, at September. I was given the okay to row a boat, go fishing, be a little crazy with my back. And so I talked to my buddy Dave into going on a little two and a half day float down the uh, Deschutes between Mopin and, excuse me, between Trout Creek and Maupin We ended up putting on about five o'clock in the afternoon, fished three or four runs. Dave got one fish, little disappointing after hearing all the great numbers and, uh, catch rates, uh, ended up going to camp that night. Of course, draining a few cold ones, uh, getting up first light the next morning started off and, Oh, we're getting a fish in every run. Uh, and as you know, when you're steelhead fishing and the fishing is good, the beers tend to flow. And as they <laughs> flowed, we realized we're going to run out of beer before we get to the boat ramp. And by the end of the day, we had hooked 15 or 16 fish between the Damn. two of us, which, which is, as you know, is incredible steelhead fishing. So waking up the next morning, we made a pact. All right, we've got... 11 beers left between the two of us and nobody gets a beer until we hook 10 fish. We ended up doing that in the first two runs. And so Jeez. it's nine o'clock in the morning <laughs> and, uh, ended up hooking another 14 fish that day, including two doubles. And I had two where I got them on back-to-back casts.
2: No uh, that was way. The
3: la- last run of the, uh, The last one was my last cast. My last two casts, I uh, caught Steelhead and Don and Lola's. So ended up two and a half days, 31 fish between the two of us. And uh, one of the most incredible Steelhead experiences in my life. So uh, they're kind of like unicorns these days, I hear. So uh, don't get to see that. It's kind of like the grandpa story. Back in my day, we used to catch them all the time.
2: But, uh, yeah, yeah it wasn't so even crazy, that long ago.
3: It's just a decade ago, you know, or a little over a decade ago. So, yeah, that's my fishing story, my happy go lucky fishy story.
2: Man, that's, um, that those days on the Deschutes are, or as you mentioned, uh, kind of feel like a, a thing of the past right now, but, um, yeah, if you were fortunate enough to be on the river a lot um, during that period with those historic runs and had a pretty good inkling of, of what you were doing, you could uh, you could put together some pretty epic fishing trips. But uh, but man, I've never had a thirty four fish trip on the Deschutes before. I can definitely say that.
3: Yeah, it was. Uh, I've never had anything like it before it or after it incredible and yeah today's numbers just don't hold up to that maybe there'll be a
2: turnaround one right of these years. right man so, um so. well yeah definitely it, it certainly can um you know there were a lot of lean years before the bonanza years that we experienced so um, absolutely so, absolutely you know just yep yep there's reason for optimism for sure um looks like the numbers are a little better this year enough to at least open the season do you have plans to go
3: I do, I'm waiting for the second. Uh, I'm not quite sure, they open it August 15th. And if they keep it, if enough numbers pass through, I believe it's the Dallas Dam, uh, they will keep it open past September 15th. And so I'm kind of waiting for that September 15th number. Just, I wanna make sure there's enough. I'm not trying to get down there and get in the mix and try to, you know, jump on a steelhead if there aren't that many you know it's just uh i can wait another year if 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 the numbers aren't good enough i I mean I, i owe the river that much respect so so that's my feeling on that one but if the numbers come through on the 15th i plan on getting down there you know at least five or six days
2: so Cool, cool. So I didn't know they were doing that. It's kind of just, I knew it opened on the 15th, but it's just kind of like a trial basis and they're just kind of I believe it that's, you know,
3: I, I, it's something, I'm, I don't know it 100%. But they will keep it open if they meet a second quota of fish. So hopefully that, that's what
2: the case. So explain this one to me. How come on the Deschutes um, they are being so careful with with that steelhead run yet to the south, you can bonk a wild fish. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> does, it, does anybody know the answer to that one?
3: I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I, uh, you know, you think the state would have, um, and it's all run by you know BLM Fish and Wildlife. You'd think they'd get together and make it a statewide policy but i assume just like you can still fish in i you know the the grand ron i know they can't the fish there but uh you know fishing was open all last year so right um but yeah man that's above my pay grade
2: <laughs> yeah yeah well of uh, me too of course <laughs> but uh, it just seems really counterintuitive yeah, and I agree. It's fundamentally ridiculous, frankly.
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, we were just up in Alaska and man, I lucked into this, I caught this gorgeous steelhead up there that I didn't expect to catch and um so I was asking the guide about steelhead, uh, you know, up in the the area that we were fishing on the Kenai Peninsula and yeah, you can't keep wild fish anywhere up there. Doesn't make any sense to me. So,
3: I just don't, uh, and then I also don't understand the whole wanting to take the wild fish either. You know, for whatever reason, yeah, I just, I just don't get it. They're so beautiful and I don't know. There's better fish to eat anyways, I think. <laughs> so yeah. I'd rather have, a would right, rather have right. a bass, well, but ba- I'd rather have a bass taco, <laughs> right? Some white fish.
2: <laughs> and there's yeah, plenty of I bass do. around here. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's you know it just folks are set in their ways. is, is I think yeah. probably a big part of it. Um, yeah, they've been harvesting wild steelhead their entire lives and um, don't see any reason to stop now, even though there's none left or very few left. Or, yeah, they're yeah, struggling I think that's
3: anyway. True. So, people have a hard time changing their minds about issues like that. So, uh, what do you do? What what do you do? Well, so you hope you hope that people change and you know ocean conditions get better, river conditions get better. Maybe it doesn't get quite as hot in the summer. We know we're fighting that, uh, but I, yeah i i I don't have the I don't have the answers for so many of those questions. Just like I don't believe our
2: scientists have a lot of the answers yet. So. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, you're done guiding now, right? Uh, the, it's over. It was a, it was a Uh, grand career,
3: grand career. I came out of retirement in 2021 to go come back and do a season, uh, just with COVID and all things of the last couple years. Uh, I needed some work and, uh, I had a great, you know, it was a great season of guiding. Uh, You know, I ended up being as busy or busier than I ever was, you know, the decade before. Um, Guided the Deschutes, uh, April, May, June. And then I went out and guided for four trips on the Grand Ronde at the end of June, which was an amazing experience and the first time that I was able to do that in my life. So. It was really fun, but it's hard work guiding out there, getting in and out of the boat, having people that can't walk and wade in the water makes it a really tough experience on a guide.
2: Yeah, I think the Deschutes is one of the hardest places to guide that I've ever seen. Yeah, it's not, if if you don't,
3: it's rare to find a 70 year old man that can hop down the river like a, you know, and you don't really have to worry about them falling in
2: well and you worked for uh for one of those longtime outfitters that had uh kind of a client base that was was getting on in years by the time uh, by the time um you joined that outfit now after you know you were my kind of right hand man when i was outfitting down there and then after i left um you went to work for i think a number of outfitters but one of them was uh was lynn sawyer and those guys They had, like, a a bunch of, like, octogenarians and and, and stuff for clients.
3: What is it for 90? Noctogenarian? Uh, uh, But, yeah, a lot of 70, 80, 90-year-old guys. And, uh, you know, the greatest thing about, you know, and most of them didn't really – at that time, they were just happy to be there but still wanted to try to catch some fish. And what's funny is when when Lynn retired – 95% ninety five percent of his clients retired with him, so they just were like all right Lynn's done we're done too. Uh, a few of them still stuck around and went on to some different outfitters that actually still you know float the river with some guys that are working down there but for the most part they uh you know they retired also so and maybe one of the, my best experiences as a guide with Lynn was we used to take a bunch of doctors from Stanford University and I'm Struggling to remember the guy's name, but I was—I took him for seven or eight years, maybe nine years, and he always fished a bamboo eight weight and could cast it like. Once he was stable, he could cast it a mile, and I just said, "Hey, why are you why are you not moving down the run?" And you know he mumbles something to me. I couldn't keep stepping, and he finally turns around. and He's like there's a fish at the end of my line. I'm going to get it. And this 89 year old ended up landing this steelhead on a swan fly with a bamboo rod, which was wow. at the old bark at the old barking dog.
2: So. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I was going to ask you. Yeah. Like I always wondered when you were doing that, uh, what that experience was like taking that many elderly folks down that river because uh, it's super hard and you have to probably pick the spots that you fish pretty carefully.
3: Very carefully. Uh, and, you know, there's probably a few of those guys that have been on that river more than I had. Right. So they'd be like, hey, would you mind pulling in that the next hummock because it's way easier for me to walk there. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, you got it. <laughs>
2: so, so it was a pretty mellow, uh, low-key operation for the most part though, right? Like, everyone was just kind of there to, to to have a good time, do a little fishing, and enjoy the that beautiful stretch of river.
3: Uh, Lynn would always say, "We're going uh, camp. We're going camping, and we're going to do a little fishing." There so, you go. <laughs> and uh, one of the most laid back camps. We never had a speed. Never were two baggers. You know, just minimal. No tablecloth. Everybody ate sitting on a chair in their lap, with their plate in the lap. Uh, We didn't ever not get one camp we wanted. And Nathan would never, our bagger at the time, would never pass us until 11 o'clock or 12. And uh, we always got our camps. I don't know. Maybe people just stayed away because they knew we were going to stay.
2: Yeah, people probably, yeah, they knew the camps that... that, uh that Lynn wanted and yeah, he'd he, been there yeah. long enough. He'd earned that respect. You were absolutely, unless you were some young guy who didn't know better then you'd stay out of that. Uh, and then Lynn would, would have a, Lynn would have a talking to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you'd get a talking to. Yeah. I remember one of the best talking tos. Um I was working with Roger Carbone and um, there was some bagger like, so we were pulled in, Oh man, I, my memory's so bad for camps. <laughs> uh we were pulled in below Whitehorse on the right. What was the name of that sweet camp in there? Like uh, way by down, the right trail? Ta- <clears throat> all trail the trips? way at the bottom of bottom of lower Whitehorse on, on River Right there. Um Davidson? Thank you. North Junction. Davidson. Davidson. Uh, thank you. So yeah, we were we were pulled in at Davidson and um we were gonna. We were setting up to have lunch at Davidson. You know, Roger liked to do like a, a barbecue kind of extended, long lunch, and you know, hopefully the clients would drink some wine and fall asleep for a while, kind of deal. <laughs> don't uh. don't spook the herd, as he used to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, we were in there uh, setting up for lunch, and this bagger, this great big blonde kid, like looked like a professional wrestler. Starts pulling in there and to set up his camp, and and Roger's like, wait wait a minute, what are you doing? He's like, well, we're going to camp here. He's like, well, that's fine and dandy. You're more than welcome to camp here, but we're having lunch here, and you're not going to set up your camp while we're enjoying our lunch. (laughs) And, you know, here I thought this guy was, uh, Roger was obviously an intimidating character and didn't take any grief from anybody, but uh, I was like, man, this kid might. This kid might uh this kid might have something to say about that, but he didn't. He turned around and went right back to his raft and just sat there and waited. And I thought it was pretty funny though, because I was like, well, I mean, what what really difference does it make if this guy's setting up camp a hundred yards from where we're having lunch, but Roger wasn't having it. Yeah, he might
3: wake him up. If yeah, they, to to that's nap. true. That's true. Didn't Good point. Those, All about t- spooking the herd. Tent- <laughs> didn't want the tent poles clanging around.
2: <laughs> right, right. Didn't want to spook the herd. Um, so uh, prior to your guiding you were uh, you were a musician um, yes. and and played in a funk band can you kind of tell me a little bit about that experience and that uh, portion of your life
3: uh, sure um, well as it turns out I'm a third generation touring musician My father was and so was my grandfather in the uh, in the 30s. Uh, I played trumpet, I played in a band called Rubberneck, and then another really big band that I played in in the 90s was a band called Unshakable Race, and Unshakeable Race, and they were kind of a reggae slash pop band, and uh, I was lucky enough to, you know, see the country playing music. Uh, didn't always make great money, but I, I made it. Um, And we got to, I don't know, we traveled all through the West, you know, East Coast, West Coast, Mid-America, but when we were on the West Coast, and especially in the Rockies, 14 Western states, I always brought my fly rods with me. And so I would get a chance to go fishing, mainly, mostly in Montana and Colorado, but great experience. Got to meet a lot of really cool musicians, a lot I still keep in contact with today. Yeah. I think back on those experiences, and I only see the good ones now. So
2: <laughs> nice. there were a lot of
3: there were a lot of times I was like, "F this." <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will tell you one funny story uh, about traveling. We were in a we were probably gone. This is with Rubberneck, and I think we were on tour for about seven weeks, and we played all the way across the country and back. And we were in. And we had had trouble with our tour bus driver. Like he got in a fight with our drummer. Um, he was a real ass. He, he didn't do what he said he was going to do. Anyways, we're on our way home and we're in the middle of Evingston Wy- Evanston, Wyoming, Southern Wyoming. Sure. At a truck stop. It's middle of winter. we f- the bus is being filled up. We all hop off go in and get a snack, drink, whatever. And, uh, Come back outside the store, and I'm sitting there with our keyboard player, and I'm like, hey, isn't that our bus going up the freeway on-ramp? <laughs> <laughs> and the dude stranded us in Evanston, Wyoming.
2: He did. I guess he'd
3: had, a, I guess he's, he'd had enough of rubberneck. <laughs> so it turns out our drummer, um, his brother at the time was uh, – I can't think of his brother's name, but his last name was Foxworth, and he was the police chief here in Portland. <laughs> and uh, they finally found the bus. In, he'd made it all the way back to Portland. Without, like, there was APBs out for the, I mean, how could you miss a big tour bus, right? But, like, because of the drummer, our drummer's connections, you know, there were cops looking, him, looking for him in Utah, Idaho, and, and Oregon. And he made it all the way back to Oregon, but when he was found, I guess it wasn't very nice because about seventeen Portland police cars uh, looked up on him when he was found, and we ended up getting our stuff back. Um, but it was a tough way to get back from Evanston, Wyoming to <laughs> uh, uh, to Portland, Oregon.
2: So, did you guys have more shows you were supposed to play between Evanston? That, luckily,
3: that, le- uh, that luckily no, we were just coming back, so we had been coming back from somewhere. Maybe it was denver right like denver R was our last show or something and then uh yeah so we ended up luckily one of our band members was from wyoming his parents came and got some of us we had some friends in salt lake that came and got some of us and then we went to salt lake and flew back to portland
2: (laughs) yeah Good old Evanston. That's where we used to go to get uh, kegs when I went to school in, uh, at Salt, in Salt Lake at the University of Utah. Just so.
3: right up, up over the border.
2: <laughs> right, yeah. And I actually, I, I ended up getting a bootlegging ticket um, for having a keg. So I'm a convicted bootlegger in Utah. <laughs> running, across,
3: running state lines.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, man, that's funny. He just had enough and up and left you guys. That's amazing that he drove that far and was still just never it never occurred to him to maybe turn around or it he just never had a change of heart yeah he was to be honest he was a real jerk so <laughs> well that's cool what a great way to see the country though and uh yeah to have your your uh your gear with you and and uh, you know be able to fly fish all those places too it's awesome
3: yeah yeah it was so uh, lucky enough to get to see a lot of the war you know at least the united states that way
2: and then another passion of yours, a lifelong, uh, a lifelong passion, is golf. Um, and you still play golf fairly frequently? I do. I think you were playing yesterday or something, you told me.
3: Yeah, I still play. Yeah, I, play, I, try, I try to play as much as possible. Uh, still, if I play too much, you know, my back gets uh, screwed up. But, yeah, I went into the golf business for a while, went back to school, got a sports uh, degree in sports management and trying to run golf clubs and did that for a while, uh, and then life takes turns again. Uh, get married, go into the trucking industry, get divorced,
2: <laughs> get out of the trucking industry, <laughs> get out of the trucking industry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so there's, uh, you know, as you know, I'm not a big golfer. I used to play a little bit, but I haven't played in a long time. But, uh, but I certainly can appreciate the similarities between the golf swing and the fly cast. Um, Do you think that's kind of part of the reason why you were so attracted to like spay casting and, and, um, and fly fishing in general is, is due to the, the athletic component of it. That's a good question. Uh,
3: There are very, if you break down, you know, body movements in the golf swing and the, and the, you know, and the fly casts, they're very similar. You have to, you know, stable lower body. Um, I'm trying to think of my big golf words right now, but I can't, none are coming. Uh, <laughs> you know, you you have to do things in order, right? Your body has to work in synchronicity to, to be able to make the perfect fly cast or the, or the perfect golf swing. So I'm sure that did have something to do with it. And I know when I did go into it, thinking, look, I've been teaching fly casting for, you know, a dozen years. I'm just switching sports to teach. I just need to learn the technology or, or not the tech, the terminology to be able to go to teaching golf. Right. So they, they are very similar and, you know, I'm sure that had something to do with it that uh, I've always liked sport, man. I still, I went to two professional soccer games this weekend here in Portland. It's yeah. just, I, I like sports. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure that had some uh, quite a bit to do with it.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, I know, you know, for a while down there on the Deschutes, we were seeing all sorts of PGA golfers and stuff showing up when the, when the spay <laughs> thing was big. Um, yeah. And that was kind of the first time where I was like, huh, there's, there's obviously a, a, a lot of crossover and connection between these two sports. And, you know, since, since I, obviously I developed, it's one of the first, um uh teaching tools i go to when i'm with somebody that's kind of new to the sport is i ask them if they play golf and mm-hmm. often the often the answer is yes and then you can really compare those two those two sports and you know in your teaching method and find a little uh, a lot of similarities that you can use to explain things to people i think it really straightens the learning curve uh,
3: yeah I, I i absolutely believe that and just to show you how much
2: <laughs> golf and fishing
3: is interactive. Uh, we know him as the big thirsty guy, but I was just up. Uh, he invited me to play a golf tournament for the Washington Surveyors Association fundraising event, mm-hmm. and it was at, it was at a place in Bremerton, Washington, called uh, Tro- Trophy Lake Golf and Casting. Beautiful little golf course in Bremerton. With giant trout in all the ponds, and you could—they had rental fly rods right next to rental golf clubs, and so you could just get or grab a golf cart if you wanted and go out there and try to catch these things. It was pretty cool.
2: Oh, that's cool. Um, you know, the golf course that I worked at in Bend back in the day—they uh, had uh, they planted like big Kamloops rainbows in their mm. main pond there out in front of the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. And then like the side ponds had bass in them. Um, and so, yeah, I'd go out there and just, you, you know, uh, on Monday when we were able to play the course for free, I'd throw my fly rod in my golf bag and, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> just go poach. Although I spent way more time fishing than I did playing golf. That was sure. really just an excuse to poach the golf course ponds. So it was <laughs> it was awesome. I had every golf course has has fish in the water. I think it's everyone they- I've seen they should yeah yeah well that's that's awesome so um, you've also volunteered your services as a facts checker on this podcast on some of the previous episodes um, you've uh, you've brought to my attention that there's been some discrepancies in in uh, in the in the facts so if 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 you could clear up a couple of those for us man we'd we'd appreciate it
3: well, I think this is your very first cat podcast. I don't, I'm not sure if it was your first one, uh, but we were, you were discussing your very last trip, guiding on the Deschutes.
2: Yeah, that was the first episode,
3: right? And you just got, you just got a couple names wrong. That's it.
2: Well, let's you, clear I it think, up here.
3: Okay, so it was the trip with you and Taylor, and Roger Carbone. And his son, who was bagging.
2: That was Roger's Uh, son that was bagging?
3: Or Roger's stepson, I believe. And this is when we had the caviar boys. And the really, really aloof, I don't want to call them idiots, but the two kids that were in your boat the whole time. Mm -hmm. When you you had to uh, leave your boat at Patagonia Rock, to jump into the water to save the kid because mm-hmm. you told him don't move. And well, what's he do? He moves, he's in the water swimming and a wooden boat picked you up. That was Cy Happy, not Court Christensen, as you probably now know.
2: Yep. Cy Happy. Oh. So thank you out there, Cy. And I apologize for, for, uh, for missing, missing that all important, detail that it was in that, fact you that uh, that saved us and may have saved my life and not yeah no
3: uh and that was the trip also i took off with what what uh roger always called them free bobbers like if they came on the trip for free like if somebody else paid for them roger didn't like them very much <laughs> <laughs> so uh and one of the octogenarians at breakfast said, I'm going to go downstream and will you pick me up? And I'm like, yeah, just stay, don't go above camp. Well, the guy went above camp. I rode to, this was all in the same day. Uh, I rode to, I got to whiskey dick from, uh, what's the camp that used to be there? Uh, Anyways, well, the guy somehow went back upstream and got above us and so I thought the guy was like dead and are you talking about up, are you
2: talking about wing Dam
3: yeah thank you wing Dam
2: yeah I remembered uh, one wow uh, <laughs> the, the guy ended up getting above
3: camp so somehow and I rode all the way to whiskey couldn't find the guy running back up the tracks going Roger we got a, you know we got a dead guy here and then here comes the guy back into camp and it's just like whatever and then remember passing you down <laughs> and this is after <laughs> after your little incident I think you'd had it with those two boys after the little swimming in the white water right? Uh, <laughs> uh, down on by Hernando's hideaway a little island and you had your shirt off <laughs> and the dude had stuck you in the back with a giant uh <laughs> stonefly that you just couldn't get out of your <laughs> <Yeah>. back <laughs> and at this point i knew like man i i don't think Carnup's gonna make this trip i don't think <laughs> he's I not think coming he's about, back i think he's about to row out of here
2: <laughs> he's not coming back yeah so, do you re, do you remember the the sit down that the carbone had with the clients at the dinner table <laughs> the and then safety nothing talk
3: changed.
2: no uh none of it went to nothing
3: heart cha- yeah the safety like, look, and that's the one <laughs> thing I really do appreciate r- about Roger. Like, he was all about safety, right? Like, let's not – he had a program. And yes, if you he messed did. Up yeah. his, if you messed up his program, he was not happy.
2: Right. You know?
3: Yeah. Uh, you know, the joke was we didn't believe Carbone had lanterns uh, because the dishes would be done before the sun went down.
1: Right. right? Like
3: And then he, he, then he would just sneak off to wherever he snuck off to. Yep. see you in the morning bedtime bedtime so. Yep.
2: it was a good program
3: it was a good program uh i don't think there's anything i can't i should have listened to that one but i think that's the best the gist of it, it all right uh, you, well
2: you that's not out. so bad
3: no 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 it wasn't like you were lying <laughs>
2: No, no, right. Yeah, no. The details were just fuzzy. And I'm yeah, you know, I didn't know Psy Happy very well and I didn't know Court very well. And they both kinda of right. have unusual names, so it was an easy mix up. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Well, awesome, Mike. Well man, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Um looking forward to to spending some more time with you here. We gotta get you back out here. You came out and fished uh the, the Missoula, the Missoula area, with me a long time ago. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I got a better handle on things now. You need to come out here and
3: I would love to. Maybe this fall, spend some time. Um,
2: That'd be fun, man. We we'll go swing some flies.
3: Okay. Uh, I do have one pretty funny story about us fishing together back then. Please, it was it was spring. Rivers were cold. I think we were with the Wisco kid. Yeah, and. I was fishing in the front of the boat, and it, it's runoff time. So I was fishing one of your gobble worms.
2: Were we on the big hole? No, we, this we is, went to the big hole. On we that did. Trip. That was that was when your dog crapped. That in was the when boat. the dog crapped in the boat. But uh, this maybe this is, is the we Bitterroot. Okay, yeah, I we fished. We root. fished the bitterroot before and the Clark Fork before. I think so. Okay, sorry. Go ahead.
3: And uh, we bumped a rock or something. I was standing up in front of the boat and went in.
2: Boom, oh, just God, tumbled that's into right. the boat. Yep. Oh, yeah, that was a cold day. <laughs> and
3: then and then I was like, geez, help me. Ah, ah. And then all I could hear <laughs> is you guys yelling, stand up. Stand up. <laughs> I was in about like, thigh, thigh high water. <laughs> so,
2: oh, man. Oh, that was the epic. We used to do. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. How do I forget about that, man? That's the beauty of were... this That's the beauty of this podcast is you uh, you you know, you tech you talk to various people and they remind you of these things and like, "Oh, yeah." <laughs> that just that one popped right. in my head. So Oh, that was uh, classic. That was so funny, man. Yeah, yeah, that's young. Right. That was a, That's 20 years ago. Yeah? Yeah, in the blink of an yeah. eye. No doubt. In the yeah. blink of an eye. Thanks again for joining us. I'd uh, I'd ask for your contact info, but I don't think you want to be found. I
3: don't really want to be found.
2: <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> All right, buddy, be well.
3: Those who know, those who know. know.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. They know how to find you.
0: Go to thefebruaryroom.com, where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yards, and if you have one to spend, shoot us an email at info at the, February the February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by The February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.